and the offering presented for each of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his holy place. For they have been previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came out to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. See you guys here. The recount goes like this. At the conference, the speaker told us the story of how the Holy Spirit was leading her to eat little snacks every few hours. She didn't want to do that because she liked having one large meal every day. So she did what she wanted. Eventually she started having dizzy spells, with her heart feeling like it was racing. She went to the doctor and the doctor told her, you need to eat little snacks every few hours. She made the point to us that, we, that she knew this all along because of the Holy Spirit. And he told her way before the problem had ever developed. She then urged us all to make a commitment to leave that night and be led by the Spirit. Anything that God leads you to do, he will give you the grace to do. We have to yield, to give in, give up, let go, back down, climb down, raise the white flag, surrender. She ended her message by waving a white flag. If you're led by the Spirit, what will it be like? Some of you might hear that and think that doesn't sound like being led by the Spirit that I'm familiar with. Being led by the Spirit to eat small meals each day, that may be a good thing for some of us, but is that what the Spirit is leading us to? Healthier lifestyles? Some of us will say, will snigger at that and say, no, that's not the case. But do we have the same foundational way of thinking, just with different details? The Spirit of God will always lead us in to healthy lives, good health, good mental stability. The Spirit of God wants us to be balanced in our lives, have healthy relationships. The Spirit of God wants us to gain healthy marks, not HDs in everything, but good, balanced, healthy marks. The Spirit will lead us in all good in life. 
the Spirit will keep us from harm. The Spirit won't lead us into harmful lives. What do you think? In the passage that's before us, indeed, the whole book that's been before us for the last few months, we've been looking at the work of the Spirit, or hearing about it, through the life of Paul, as especially as Paul, in the latter part of the book of Acts, is taking the gospel to the nations, being led by the Spirit. And so last week, if you were with us, or if you weren't with us, in Acts 21, Paul says he was constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and that he didn't know what was happening, didn't know exactly what the Spirit was uh, going to lead him into, but that the Spirit testified, testified to him that infliction and imprisonment awaited him. Paul was being led by the Spirit towards Jerusalem, towards danger. Is that what the Spirit of God could do, would do? Well, we see it fleshed out a little bit further today. Uh, As we do get stuck into this chapter and a few other chapters that you'll see uh, pop up on the screen, I'm going to lead us in prayer. This is God's word that he's given to us to understand, and so I'm going to Pray that God might help us understand. If you want to say amen at the end, please do. Father, thanks for this word that you've given us. We pray that as we spend some time looking at these chapters in Acts that you've given us, that you would help us to understand what you are saying, help me to be able to explain it to us well, and for all of us to be obedient to your word. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul here is led by the Spirit into opposition. They travel, uh, after leaving Miletus, they travel to, from Miletus to, to just see it, cause, um, I don't know where the, the lettuce comes from, um, Snidus, Rhodes, and then across the Mediterranean, going past Cyprus, they don't actually stop in Cyprus this time round, and then down to Tyre. Uh, seven days, Paul stays in Tyre uh, with his companions, and Luke's with him at this stage. And you can tell because on the way through, Luke keeps saying, "We, we, we, we went, we went." So Luke's with him at this in this situation. And when they're in Tyre, they seek out the disciples who are there, the Christians, and they stay there for seven days. And verse four, uh, and through the Spirit, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Or what's happened? Paul, back in Miletus, has testified that the Spirit says that he's going to go to Jerusalem. Halfway across the Mediterranean, does the Spirit change his mind? Uh, The Spirit works out, this plan's not going to work. Uh, This is danger for Paul. Hang on, we've got to pull out. What do we do? Let's send a message to the guys in Tyre to say to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Abort, abort, abort. What's happening? Well, Paul doesn't listen. He keeps going. They set out for Jerusalem, uh, to Ptolemais for a day, and then to Caesarea, where Philip lives. Remember Philip? Philip the Evangelist. He's one of the seven that were appointed way back in the early part of Acts to administer food, especially to the widows in Jerusalem where there was the dispute over food. Remember, 
I don't know if he was very good at it, but he didn't seem to do it for very long. Instead, he was the one that left Jerusalem and took the gospel to Samaria and to the Samaritans. And if you remember, he got whisked away by the Spirit to meet the Ethiopian eunuch on the road. And he explained Isaiah 53 to him. Uh, I don't know if he was a good sort of uh, roster man for doing the widow thing or whether he just left that behind. But do take care putting your name down on a roster for supper or something like that at church. (laughs) Faithful in little, faithful in much. You might find yourself whisked away. Anyway, (coughs) Philip now has has daughters and they prophesy. There you go. While they were staying many days, verse 10, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Again, everyone pleads with Paul. Luke included, who's writing this, he doesn't edit this out later on. We we said, don't go, Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. The Spirit says so. Well, what do you reckon? Has the Spirit changed his mind for Paul? What do you think? I'll give you a moment to chat with people around about you, one or two. Say good day. Um, introduce yourself if you need to. Um, has the Spirit changed his mind about Paul? This is a, if this is completely new to you, that's okay. You can throw your two cents in um, and there's no wrong answers at the moment. Go for it. Say anything. There are wrong answers. That's true, but I'll, I'll accept them. Um, from chapter twenty, um, the Holy Spirit was already warning Paul that he was going to face affliction. So I would say no, he hasn't changed his mind. Hasn't changed his mind. What about the ones in um, where was it? Tyre, who said, uh, "Speaking by the Spirit, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Speaking by the Spirit." Did they get it wrong? He doesn't say don't go. He just says that he'll be bound. Agabus says that he'll be bound. But the guys back in um, uh, verse... Pick it up in verse 4. Back in Tyre. And through the Spirit were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Um, So I'm thinking they probably um, they... According to the spirit, they, they knew a lot of it, 
So did the Spirit just tell them what was going to happen yeah. to Paul and then they themselves <coughs> went, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul, the Spirit telling us that you're going to... Which sounds a bit like what happens with Agabus, doesn't it? Okay, well, let's see. Uh, either way, Paul continues on. He's not persuaded that he shouldn't be going. Uh, is it that the Spirit's changed his mind? Or is it that people are taking on board what they think the Spirit is saying uh, and perhaps the wrong way? Or perhaps with wrong expectations? See, what do we expect if we're being led by the Spirit? What should you expect? Good health. Is that what the Spirit will bring you? Uh, some will say, maybe a bit more generally, you, you should feel at peace. Or you should feel a peace of some sort. Feeling easy about what's coming. You might expect to have clarity or certainty or calmness about what is about to happen because of the Spirit. But why do we expect that? Paul doesn't expect it. In fact, verse 13, he answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This whole situation is actually not very good for his, <laughs> not very good for his health. What's about to happen is not good, and what he's going through at the moment is unpleasant and uncomfortable. And he wants his brothers uh, and sisters, no doubt, to change their tone with him, change their way. They're breaking his heart. Is he being led by the Spirit? Well, Paul is adamant that the Spirit is leading him, constraining him into opposition in Jerusalem. And I wonder whether for us, maybe even some of the guys here, we confuse something like the, the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We confuse those things. They're the things that the Spirit causes or produces in us. I wonder whether we confuse them with what we expect to receive if we are led by the Spirit. We expect to feel love. We expect to feel peace. We expect to feel kindness and goodness coming to us and gentleness. If the Spirit is working around us, in us, then we'll be we'll have a, this, this peace isn't that the fruit of the spirit? I don't think so the message of warning from the spirit are not so that Paul will be comfortable not so that Paul will change his, hand, his plans but so that he'll be prepared he'll be prepared to do what he's been assigned to do, and that is to testify to the Lord Jesus, to testify that Jesus is the Christ, he's resurrected, and he's the King. 
and to do that under fierce opposition. Not to get rid of the opposition, but to do it in it. And no doubt, along the way, displaying, producing the fruit of the Spirit, which take a great deal of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness on Paul's part, to do what he's about to do, testifying to Christ. Well, what should we expect? Well, the Spirit leads us into godliness, Christ-likeness, which will generate discomfort, which will generate ridicule. It'll even generate internal conflict for us where we don't want to change some things. We don't want to go through hardships. The Spirit leads us to declare Christ, to profess his name, whether it produces awkwardness or opposition or discomfort. Well, Paul continues on with the message. Not because he wants to, uh, not that because he thinks that'll be fun, but that's the task he's been given to do. Jesus' words, a servant is not greater than his master. Paul, when he was converted, was told he must speak my name, the name of the Lord Jesus, to the ends of the earth and suffer for that, and suffer as he does that. And so the Spirit is preparing him for something bigger, something bigger than just his own good well-being and health, but preparing for opposition, point two. In anticipation of opposition, uh, Paul's friends make preparation. So he arrives in Jerusalem. He's not quite final destiny, but he arrives in Jerusalem. And he's welcomed gladly by the brothers there with James and the elders. Uh, Paul speaks to them about all the wonderful things that God's been doing all over the world as Paul's been taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And everyone glorifies God there amongst the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And therein lies the problem. Verse 20. When they heard it, they glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother... How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are, coming, who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. These Christian brothers in Jerusalem Anticipate opposition from who? From the Jewish Christians. See, Jerusalem has changed since Paul was first converted on the road to Damascus many years ago now, and we'll see a bit more in the moment how, but thousands have become Christians. There are thousands of Jews who are Christians in Jerusalem by this time. And what's the other change? They are, since being converted, they're zealous for the law. Becoming Christians hasn't turned them away from the law. It's made them zealous for the law. It's God's word. They are still Jewish. They haven't stopped being Jewish. And so they are zealous to follow God's law. Perhaps they were, they'd given up on the law. Perhaps they weren't very lazy with the law. Now that they have Jesus as Lord and 
trust God's word, they're zealous for the Lord, taking God's word seriously. But now they've been told that Paul has been teaching Jews uh, in Gentile lands not to follow the law anymore. And we know from reading Acts that that is not true. That is not true. He's been telling Gentile Christians that they don't need to get circumcised to obey or obey the law. And he's been telling Jews in those Gentile lands not to pressure the Gentiles to become circumcised or follow the Jewish laws. It's very subtle, isn't it? You could see how the message might come back to Jerusalem. Now Paul's going all around the world telling the Jews living in Gentile lands that they don't have to follow the law. Stop following the law. But that's not what he's doing. So what's the plan that they come up with? They say, take this Jewish vow of purity along with four others and pay their way, pay their expenses, shave your heads, show that there's nothing in this rumour that you've, you're turning against the law, you're turning Jewish people against the law. But the plan backfires. The very plan that is supposed to assure his commitment to the law creates the occasion for an accusation. Verse 27. And you pick it up. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid, uh, and, and the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled his whole, this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut, and they were seeking to kill him. Uh, as, and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort and that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Well, great plan, guys. Uh, the plan that Paul's friends put together to show that he loves the law, follows it, has just ignited a fire. Paul is very nearly killed and the whole of Jerusalem is now in confusion. Great plan, guys. Great plan. The plans of men. Paul entrusts himself to it. Uh, he's not familiar with Jerusalem anymore. He says, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Uh, they say, trust us, Paul. It can't fail. And so it fails. But it didn't fail at the same time. Because the Spirit was leading Paul into opposition in Jerusalem for an opportunity for the message. Because, point three, the opportunity... Uh, is provided by opposition. Paul was then arrested by the Roman guards amidst the violence in Jerusalem amongst the crowd and was brought into the Roman barracks for questioning. And Paul asks to speak to the crowd and is given permission. This is on the steps of the barracks. Now a great crowd of people have gathered and Paul motions with his hands, no doubt for quiet, and he speaks to them. Uh, he speaks to them in uh, another uh, in in Hebrew. We see it, pick it up there in chapter twenty-two and verse one. You don't have it in your outlines there, but I've got it here on the 
um, on the screen. Um, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, here's the defence that I now make before you. Um, I'll quickly recap it, but Paul goes on to recount his life. He's a zealous Jew, he began as a zealous Jew, trained under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. The best training you could get. But then he becomes a persecutor of Christians as a result of that. And he, in his zeal, delivers Christians to prison and to death. Verse 12, pick it up further down. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. And, or Jesus speaks to him, actually, on the road to Damascus. Uh, he's blinded, and then he's, told, he's led by hand into Damascus. And verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptised and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is Paul giving his testimony to the thousands who've gathered around the barracks steps trying to kill him. But you notice the change of tone in Jerusalem? If you were with us way back at the beginning of Acts, Peter and John were arrested by the Sanhedrin for speaking of Jesus. And remember they let them go and said, stop speaking about Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. Here is Paul publicly preaching his conversion to Jesus, who is the righteous one, the one who is the resurrected king reigning at God's right hand and speaking from heaven. This is not the Jerusalem from when Paul was converted. This is not the Jerusalem from when Peter and John were thrown in and were arrested. The message of Christ is now tolerated by the Jews, if not accepted and believed by many. Paul continues in verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Again, all well and good. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, up to this word, they'd listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and 
throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. All hell breaks loose. Uh, Paul's almost killed for his preaching. At the point of mentioning God speaking to him in the temple to go to the Gentiles, there's the touch point. The fact that Jesus might be the Christ, that's okay. We're happy to tolerate that and perhaps believe it. But that God might send Paul, a messenger of Christ, to the Gentiles, <coughs> no, that is not, no, no, that is, that's, if we were today, here today, it would be un-Australian. No, because the message that Paul's speaking to the Gentiles is that you can bypass Jerusalem, you can bypass the law, you can bypass Judaism and go straight to God through Jesus. No way in the world. That's like saying to many people today, anyone can come to Australia. You don't have to learn the language, you don't have to learn English, you don't have to learn anything about Australia, you don't have to have a job, you don't have to have money, you don't have to have skills. You don't, Just come to Australia and we'll accept you and Many in the population will say, no way, no way. We want to have people here who can speak English. We want to have people who can contribute, people who can adopt the way of life that we live here. And there's a real sense to that, the truth of that. And that's what these people are feeling. No way can we have a message which bypasses the temple, the law of Judaism. And so the whole city is thrown into confusion. Paul is uh, arrested again, and which saves his life. And he's about to be examined by flogging. Well, has he fought, failed again? The plans have failed all over again. The Jews have their plans to kill Paul. The Romans have their plans now to examine Paul. Through them all, God enacts his plans... To magnify the message. Don't know how Paul thought things were going to go. But he's arrived in Jerusalem and he's just preached to thousands. Testifying to the Lord Jesus. Step one accomplished. Next, God's going to use the whole situation to magnify the message. So verse 25, we see what happens. But... When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? It's good timing, Paul. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man's a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yeah. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. But those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately and the tribune also was afraid for he realised that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, now Roman law had got involved. Roman administration had got involved. And their way, there involved the rule of law and their way, rule of law involved not shaming Roman citizens by shackling them in public, which they have already done and certainly not flogging a Roman citizen who's uncondemned. 
And as it pans out, it's great to have a read of it. Go have a read of what, what happens next. Paul lives to fight another day. Now in Roman custody, under Roman care, and the Roman system takes over in Paul's life. And he escapes the plot of the Jews. Well, you have to read the next little bit of what happens the next day when the Tribune tries to get some um, facts out of the out of Paul with the meeting with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and others. But he escapes. And what do we see? The Lord says to him, at the end of it all, the following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. See, the Spirit was leading Paul into opposition, even multiplied opposition. Through failed human plans for a magnified opportunity. He preached in Jerusalem to the Jews first. Paul's mantra, and then to the Gentiles. And the Lord assures him that now you're going to Rome and you're going to testify about me in Rome that the facts of Jesus might be made known to all the world. Friends, I'm not sure exactly where the Spirit will lead you in the details of your life. But I do know that the Spirit is leading leading all of us to testify to the Lord Jesus with how we speak, with how we live, making Jesus known to the ends of the world. Let's pray. I'm going to pray that we might grab hold of that reality. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to us. Thanks for your word in Acts showing how you have led Paul through opposition into opposition that you might bring about great opportunities for the word of the Lord Jesus to be made known, for keeping Paul uh, safe, uh, for guiding him, him through uh, the situation that he's in, he was in. Lord, we pray that we might recognise the work of your spirit to make Christ known through all the world and be on board with that, whatever the costs may be, whatever, wherever this, your spirit may lead us, that we may be willing to go and be led. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh is going to continue in prayer. Uh, he's going to blow his nose beforehand. Don't run away. Uh, while he's doing that, you just got that comment slip. Uh, if you've got any comments that you want to uh, leave or let us know that you were with us, especially if it's your first time with us, and uh, we collect them up at a box at the end. Thanks for all right. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Josh, and I'm. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, I'm a first year engineering student, and I've got the privilege of praying, which is just talking to God. Uh, so. If you are of the praying kind, uh, feel free to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we do thank you uh, for this opportunity we have 
to gather here under your word and uh, yeah, to grow in wisdom and understanding from it. Lord, thank you that you uh, do work uh, to proclaim your name, even when we may not be able to understand your plans. Uh, thank you for the passage of Acts, and thank you that, uh, yeah, even though it seemed that, um, yeah, it was uh, perhaps uh, not what we would have thought, thank you that through your spirit uh, that you could, uh, yeah, I guess help uh, Paul to be bold and to proclaim your name. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to trust your spirit uh, and to go to all the nations, as uh, Jesus said, and to be fearless in proclaiming your name. Uh, Lord, we also uh, give you thanks for team. Uh, thank you for the good opportunity that it is to learn more about you and to grow in uh, yeah, knowledge and love of you and what your son did for us. Lord, help that uh, to continue to be, uh, yeah, uh, fruitful, I suppose, in, um, yeah, equipping us, as, um, yeah, in uh, ways to follow you, uh, yeah, and that we can uh, use that in proclaiming you on campus and uh, beyond. Uh, Lord, thanks for the AG, uh, AGM meeting uh, that was held. Uh, thank you for the new members that were appointed, Lord, and help them to be faithful, uh, help to protect them, and, yeah, that they'll be able to, uh, yeah, fulfil their roles um, in whatever uh, ways that is. Uh, Lord, we also pray for the evangelicals on campus. Uh, particularly, we pray for, yeah, the campus of ACU, Lord. Uh, we pray that you'll, yeah, help those... Um, evangelicals to be faithful um, and to be based in your word Lord and uh, yeah to proclaim your name truthfully um, and if it's your will Lord pray that you will bring more members uh, to that group there uh, finally Lord yeah we do thank you for uh, yeah sending your son for us uh, help us to continue to uh, yeah find joy and um, I guess dwell on uh, how good it was that uh, yeah, he came for us and that uh, he saved us from the punishment of death that we deserved. Mm. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.